we can still go to the High Court and apply for a judicial review. What's that mean in English, then? Are we screwed or not? Right. That was Debbie. Apparently, Ray's having a press launch at the Chariot Square Hotel. So what are we waiting for? Come on, then. Rebel Alliance. I believe that's a Star Wars reference. Welcome to episode 131 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street catch-up podcast that thinks a prosecution barrister this week is another in the line of professional women who hate other women or who somehow fall under the mystical spell of Tim's dad in either way. I reckon that she's just DS Abney without the fringe. I'm Gavin. And I'm wearing my Cory t-shirt. Yes, you are for the second week running. Doesn't work at the factory, it says. So you say. Hmm? No, because I do not work at the factory. You don't? No, I don't. Unless this is a factory. This is the factory of fun. This is a fun factory. That's right. Where fun comes to die. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the fun abattoir, more than the fun factory, I guess. Yes. That's a nice t-shirt. It is a nice t-shirt. It's cosy. I slept in it last night, mm-hmm. which is why I'm wearing it now. <laughs> it's the perfect Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> it is the perfect Christmas gift. And it's cheap at double the price. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. People don't want cheap gifts. Yeah, we need to try out their their mugs and stuff because their uh, and, and the their masks, t-shirts are good. Although, you know, with the vaccine coming, who knows how long people will be buying masks. <laughs> I will still be wearing a mask well into people getting the vaccine because I don't trust people. I'm not back in work until at least April. People yeah. are going back in April, so I'll probably be May or June, I would have thought. Yeah. I remember in March when we got sent home that... That oh, this Friday. All, this will all be done in three months. Uh, n- not three months. This will be done in a few weeks. <clears throat> a few weeks we'll be back. We'll be back before the summer. Or it'll, or it'll just be summer when we go and back. And I said, there's no chance we're back by summer. Didn't <laughs> think it would take. I know history. Didn't think it would take more than a year, though. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. But, but, but we, we will. will. Get there, yeah. <laughs> but we, the vaccine looks positive. It looks like. The UK's really jumping on it. That worries me. And Fauci's uh, comments about that worry me. Not that we want to get into no. any of this. No. How are you? I'm good. I'm alright. How was your week? It was it was it was nice. It was relatively uneventful, which is good. Um, you know, I mean we're kind of back to really not going anywhere. Like really, really not going anywhere. Yeah, things are shut again. Yeah. And and that but I've somehow still managed to get steps in and stuff. Like the other day, I managed to get my steps in by decorating the outside of the house for Christmas, which is something we never do because we're typically never here for Christmas. So we don't decorate the outside because we're not here to keep people from stealing our decorations. Not that, you know, we live in an area with lots and lots of theft, but Or, or the, middle, the middle of the night still exists, so if people wanted to steal it, they could... They could still steal it. They just have to do it under cover of darkness. Right. Um, but since we will be here this Christmas for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Michigan Christmas, y'all. Yeah. Um, I figured I figured why not. Plus, you know, our neighbors were so delighted by our Halloween 
decorations, which we do every year anyway, that I, I figured I would add to the Christmas cheer and trying to uplift the neighborhood in, in, in my own small way. So. Okay, Grinch. Yeah. I don't care. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite happy to be the Grinch. Ah, oh, dear. And then the kids and I went to see Croods 2 last night. That was fun at, at the drive-in. Our, our our local movie theater has oh the, not the industrial metal band. What industrial metal band? At the drive-in. Is that an industrial metal band? It certainly is. Oh, I had no idea. One armed scissors, y'all. <laughs> yeah, they have uh, like three trailer containers containers stacked up in their parking lot, and then a screen tied onto it and stuff. And they're doing movies that way, which is very smart and industrious they have an actual drive-in but it's all the way over by lake michigan which is like two hours away and you have decided we don't drive two hours away just for a movie during a pandemic that's <laughs> well, a bit that's a bit that you keep on forgetting <laughs> we can't get we can't really in good conscience get a hotel and it's too cold to camp see this is why we need an rv that we could go anywhere well you save up your pennies and you get yourself one <laughs> But it was good. I, I actually enjoyed Crudes too more than I enjoyed the original OG Crudes. It was good. It was funny, and I liked it. This is, this is the second movie we've gone to watch up there. The first one was uh, Freaky, completely different from Crudes too. <laughs> keep on saying we. Although, well, me and the kids, there not you. Although there were just as many kids at Freaky as there were at Crudes too. Was it? How can you tell? Well, because. They they do come out of their cars every once in a while, and really why? Well, to walk to the concession stand, because the concession stand inside the theater is open, so you can go in and buy your popcorn and then come back out. And it's lovely because they close the concession stand halfway through the movie. So if you buy the large popcorn, you know if you buy a large popcorn, you get a free refill. They'll just give you your refill there, so you get your bucket full of popcorn and then you get a massive bag full of popcorn at the same time. Anyway, um, how was your week? Got new phones. Oh, yes. My phone died, so I need a new phone, which means that I need to get you a phone. Uh, my oh, battery wait, wait, wait. was oh. deteriorating as well, so it was it was time. And managed to kind of combine it with Christmas presents for, for each other, so there right. we go. Right, yeah. And Black Friday. It's big. Or oh, it's bigger. Yeah, it's bigger. It's not the biggest. I miss my button. I miss my home button. Do you? Mm-hmm. It's taken me a while to get used to that. Yeah, there there are things that are cumbersome to do, like closing applications. You're supposed to like hold down at the bottom and then swipe up. Mm-hmm. I can get that to work. And sometimes it's hard to get that to work, and it was hard figuring that out until I asked Siri. I liked my little tap tap on the home button that brought the top half of the screen down to the bottom half of the screen. And you kind of have to tap tap on the bottom part of the the screen now to make that happen. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't happen all the time. Right. These are definitely first world problems. Yes. My main problem with it is, as you get fuck all in the box anymore. I remember back in the day, you used to get a lovely little ceramic stand that you could put your your phone in as it was charging on your desk, and it had a bit of heft to it. It was great, and you could it would sync with your computer as this was going on, and you'd get a you get a little. Uh, screen cleaner i seem to remember and you'd get headphones or earphones and you'd get a charger 
that you could plug into the wall that had all the bits that it needed to plug into the wall without you having to buy anything else. Mm-hmm. And it would say, not designed in California. It would say, made in California. And when you opened up the box, a lovely little smell came out of it. It was like buying a new car. Now, the only part of buying a new phone experience that's like buying a new car is the length of time you're in the fucking shop. Yeah, you don't even... You really... got a charger with it. And, and it's, a, it's a lightning to USB-C cable that you get. Who's mm-hmm. got what? The only thing that I've got that's a USB-C is my PlayStation controller, and you can't charge a phone of a PlayStation controller. That's why we had to buy those blocks. Right. Which were pointless. Which you have to buy other things. Yeah. You don't even really oh. get to peel the peel the film well, off. The guy did it in front of us. Yeah, he did it in front of us. And then put like the plastic protector on there because, God forbid, Apple make a phone that won't break if you drop it without buying an extra protector onto it. Right. Uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're late for the preamble. I'm, I'm a little I'm a little disconcerted too with uh, the face ID as opposed to the thumbprint ID. Especially since nowadays, if you're, you're out and about, <laughs> you're wearing a mask and it doesn't recognize you. Mm-hmm. You have to take your mask off. Or just put in your PIN number. Right, yes. <laughs> but still, it's like, yeah. oh, for fuck's sake. I used to be able to just stick my thumb on this and, and, and it would work. But now, no. Anyway, first world problems. Are you ready to preamble, my dear? Give us some of that first world coding news. <laughs> In news I really should have covered last week, but was in a turkey coma, Ian Bartholomew, a.k.a. Tim's dad, cleaned house at the Inside Soap Awards, winning Best Actor, Best Villain, and Best Showstopper, an honor he shares with Shelley King, yep. a.k.a. R. Yasmin. Sometimes, it's good to be bad. In continued news, I should have covered last week, but seriously, guys, you should have seen all the pie I ate. Molly Gallagher, a.k.a. Arnina, also won an Inside Soap Award as Best Newcomer because also sometimes it's good to be goth. I can't believe I can't believe I covered Colson Smith's recycling issues. I can absolutely believe it. Instead of this, because I knew about it because I congratulated Molly on Twitter. No comment. Nothing. That happened so long ago that (laughs) any comment I have, I think I've already I've already aired. Sure. Finally, in new news about the old cast, it seems like a number of familiar faces will be sticking around as multiple members sign new contracts. Don't expect to see the back end of Ken, Kevin, Sally, Steve, Eileen, or Evelyn anytime soon. But not like that. Or maybe. Maybe like that. (laughs) And that's Corey News. What? You've been doing so well with Corey News recently. You didn't say, hey, I, I almost did a nugget of Corey News about someone who's no longer in the cast. So, you're welcome. Our mailbag. <clears throat> Chris, yes, that one went to say, it speaks volumes that on the day before her infant son's funeral, Leanne would rather navigate her way through Weatherfield's public transport system while carrying a tree than risk being seen in a Rover 75. I'm glad it's not just me, Chris. Thank you. And then we've got an email from Joe, <laughs> who's, put, who's put far too much thought into this. He said that's an email entitled, A Special Tribute Playlist. Oh. Are you worried? No. I was a little worried. Mm. 
but it's simply outstanding. <laughs> it's a Spotify playlist called Jeff's Magic Music. Oh no! Which I assume <laughs> now means I'm worried. Tim's dad's magic music. On the twenty track playlist we have, which I think I don't know how Spotify works, but I think if you if you search for this, do you find it? Yes. Okay, so it's called Jeff's Magic Music. It includes "This Time It's Forever" by Ian Bartholomew, obviously. It's a kind of magic by Queen. Trapped in a Box by No Doubt. Hospital Radio by The Mystery Jets. Thanking You by Shaka. Got Your Money by Old Dirty Bastard featuring Kellis. Chicken Payback by The Bees. Little Crosses by Randall Chowning. If Love is a Red Dress, Hang Me in Rags by Maria McKee. Jiggle It by Olatunji and Static. Wanker by The Uzis. Tricks Up My Sleeve by Trixie and Delusions. I'm Watching You by The Helicopters. I'm Your Late Night Evening Prostitute. That's by Tim Waits, y'all. Credit Cards and Broken Hearts. Yes, Helen's just found a playlist. Yes, you can find this on Spotify. Jeff's Magic Music. It's got an awful picture of Ian Bartholomew where you can look up his nose. Credit Cards and Broken Hearts by Michael. I Love You Like an Alcoholic by The Taxpayers. Kidnapper by Blondie, Knobhead by Just Greg, Breakfast in America by Super Trump, and it One finishes of my favorite songs. with Magic Moments by, by Perry Cobo. I particularly liked Trapped in a Box by No Doubt. Yeah, that's... Now, Joe has listened to this playlist and says <laughs> it's shit, but still, it exists and it's now a thing. And, and you I can thank find him it very much publicly for on Spotify. See, what, see, the only thing it's missing... And and I forgive him because he's British, so he may not know the existence of it. Is uh, the Lonely Islands, Dick in a Box, from Saturday Night Live? It's a yeah. It, remember, is this the only thing that I've ever laughed at in Saturday Night Live? I think it might be. It's one of the few things you've ever laughed at it at, at Saturday Night Live. It's, go listen to that Spotify playlist. We won't be. I will be. <laughs> I don't have Spotify. Well. It's free. You can get it. That's just another thing to get. (laughs) And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight This Morning with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Brian Maiden. Remember Brian Maiden? Yes. This was Seb taking Emma to an Iron Maiden tribute band. Yes. That she didn't want to go to. Her dad liked Iron Maiden. She obviously doesn't. Yeah, but Seb's heart was in the right place. I haven't seen much of Seb lately. Shh. If you don't say his name. I was Gavin, (laughs) and you were Father Christmas. You perhaps unsurprisingly had done a bunch of Christmas shopping. Yeah. I'd done a lot of Christmas shopping yesterday. Then you walked in and and saw the, the screen that I had up, so Well, I wasn't going to, but then you closed the screen that was on top of it. And then I saw Yeah. Enjoy your teapot. It's it's, it's your fault. You were I, kind enough to give I us a there were lots of things on there. I have no idea what it was. They were all teapots. Were they? I mm-hmm. had no idea. All I noticed is all I noticed were TARDISes. I had no idea that they were teapots, so now you've ruined it. 
Oh, I ruined it yesterday when you got to see the No, screen. but I didn't. I, all I noticed is, is it's TARDISes. And so I left because I knew that you weren't looking for them for yourself. I certainly wasn't. Because you don't like Doctor Who. The one that I got wasn't on that screen, though. So <laughs> that's at least some part of a surprise. I'll give you it as soon as it arrives. It's fine. No, I don't want it. I want it on Christmas. That's the whole point of buying extra presents that aren't the phones. You were kind enough to give us a goat update. A goat update? Mm-hmm. You spent a good five minutes talking about goats that uh, that had been born on your mother's farm that isn't really a farm. Oh, yeah. Twins, apparently. Oh, yeah. Emma seems oddly threatened by her fledgling relationship with Seb when she offers to eat a hot pot despite being vegetarian and agrees to attend an Iron Maiden tribute act despite hating heavy metal. Billy almost gets to the end of a wedding ceremony and Robert seems surprised when all his lies come home to roost. That was... Quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. Derek is back in the scene as drunk as usual, but with an interesting proposition for Nick and Sarah and the rest of the knickerpacking people. Despite an extensive list of backfiring attempts to do the right thing by her son, Bernie's attempts to do the right thing can be counted as one confirmed backfire with another one pending. And elsewhere, Fizz threatens to count up to five and then ends up counting down to one. R- Roy sank Richard's battleship. Daniel watches some videos in his vest. Rita has no mates, but Mrs. McElroy's cat is going to be fine. Our moment of the week was Michelle reading out Irish Tina's text during her wedding vows to Robert, and a boring moment of the week was Aggie not being able to cook. And that was Coronation Street, and the talk of the street, this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline today is a ceremony to celebrate Oliver's life. On Monday, David goes round to see Nick, who has slept on the couch, Nick explains how Leanne was up all night, sobbing, playing Oliver's music box until 4am, when it all went silent. He thinks she's sleeping now, but then in she comes. She's yeah. not been sleeping at all. She's no. been out. She's out been and out. about. <laughs> she's been out for a walk. She acts snippily when uh, Nick and David mention that she might want to take things easy. She has far too much to do, and then she seems to storm back out of the flat again. Yes. See, this is very Leanne. Storming about. Yeah, and and being very no-nonsense and... I've, I haven't had a long lion in ages. Why would I start now? And there's so much to do sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how she copes. This is how she grieves by by doing. And being kind of passive aggressive about it. Yeah. And taking charge when, when she should be sharing the charge. And number one, Emma is preparing a full English for Steve and Tracy, but she's forgotten the tatty scones. Oh. And there's a little bit where we hear different words for tatty scones. Right, yes. They're tatty scones. I think we would, in America, call them hash browns. No. Like the hash browns you get from McDonald's. They're kind of like that. No, they're nothing like that. That's the closest we have to that. It's nothing like it. It's, it's a fried nothing pota- like it. It's like a potato pancake. It's like a latka. That's not a hash brown. There's no, there's there's no discernible bits of potato in it. There's no flaky, shredded potato in it. Yeah. Like fried mashed potatoes. Essentially, it's fried mashed potatoes, yeah. yeah. It's nothing like a hash brown. Yeah, but it's th- that the closest equivalent we have would be that. Because even a latka, you have Yeah, but my point shredded. is that even that isn't close. If that's the closest thing, it's, it's really not close. <sighs> anyway. I like a tatty scone. A tatty scone on a bit of square sausage or on a bit of black, black pudding is... Yeah, we've had tatty scones before. I've made them, they weren't very good. Tracy warns that Steve is still in bed and not to expect him getting up anytime soon. He's grieving and he needs some time on his own. But she still fancies a full cooked breakfast, so she tells Emma to get stuck in. Yes. 
Back at Nick and Leanne's, there are so many flowers arrived at the flat that they've run out of va- the. Did I say vases or vases anymore? I, I'm, that's I not a word that I say is, very often. Either is proper. Vases. I think I say vases. Not vases. No, I think it's vases. Mm-hmm. Vases? I say vases. Schedule. Vases. Yes, vases. Garage. <coughs> Garage. And I've had to improvise with a teapot. In comes the undertaker. He's buzzed him in and Leanne's lit him up. Nick is furious and wants to tell him to fuck off, but Leanne called him earlier. Oliver deserves the best send-off, so they need to get planning, and Nick pinches the bridge of his nose. Leanne is right on this one, I think. You get things, you start to get things organised immediately, because time runs away with you, and you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. They should, he, she should have called Steve first, before The Undertaker, though, I think, and said, hey, I'm going to call The Undertaker. It's nice that we keep getting to see The Undertaker. He's becoming like a regular member of the cast now. I'd quite like him to have some entrance music. <laughs> and wear a hat mm-hmm. and a long coat. Absolutely. And do that thing where he puts his eyes, rolls his eyes back in his head. <laughs> and has and a tattoo facial to, hair. And has a tattoo of Sarah across his neck. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Anyway, I think every time I've been involved in arranging a funeral, which thankfully hasn't been all that often, the day off... For my dad, I was on the phone to the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. And it was the day after my mum that I got on the phone with the Undertaker. Because mm-hmm. the crematorium in Falkirk, I don't know what it's like these days, but that gets filled up, so to speak, fairly quickly. And even with my mum, we were like almost two weeks later. Anyway, the Undertaker has all the information he needs, and then he pile drives Nick through a table. <laughs> The celebration of Oliver's life, not a funeral, will take place in the metaphorical community garden. And then there's the music, the flowers, the everything else to be organised. Leanne has a sudden notion about the music while Nick is oddly conscious of taking up the Undertaker's time. She fetches a music box. She doesn't know the tune and neither does the Undertaker, but he promises to find out. Did you know the tune? It was it was familiar. I didn't bother looking it up. I'm sure it would be very easy to have looked up. But it doesn't seem like anybody looked it up because it didn't hear get played. Yeah, it's 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 this strong emotional moment where here's this one touching thing that we really do know about the kid because we've we've heard the music box played for him while he was sick before he went to hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, good, the the show's kind of building on one of the few touchstones we have of Oliver, and then it doesn't get used. A couple of things that didn't get used that were kind of story points. In my right, case. yeah, and should have gotten used as opposed to things that did get used. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick says no biggie, there's always plan B, but Leanne doesn't want plan B, damn it. And perhaps sensing that he's just making things worse by being a bit of a dick here. He grabs his coat and quietly leaves and no one notices. Tracy finds Nick and Roy's roles. He tells her that Leanne won't stop while she says that Steve can't get started. Tracy is Team Nick when it comes to Leanne already making plans for the funeral. Sorry, celebration of Oliver's life. Tracy doesn't think it's right that Steve shouldn't have a say in the matter, and she's right on that point. Yes, she is. Back home, Steve's up and reading the paper, but it's too much for him, and he heads back upstairs. He comes down dressed later, and Tracy tells him about Leanne's plans for the celebration for Oliver's life, but he's already said his goodbyes, and none of this matters, so he goes back upstairs again. Yeah. He doesn't care. No. No. Not even a little bit. No. So Nick goes round to see David. He's frustrated that Leanne won't let him help and won't forgive him for having Sam 
David tells him that he needs to know where he stands. And Nick goes home to find Leanne going through photographs of Oliver for a slideshow for the celebration of Oliver's life. Nick offers to help, then offers to move out. Leanne says that he should stay. He and Oliver were close, she offers. I'm surprised that he didn't react to that. You're close. Like you're probably close to your to your postman. Or like your uncle you see twice a year. Right. I think Nick is just kind of dead inside right now. But after the celebration of Oliver's life, they can discuss the terms of their separation. Yeah. I thought that was quite cutting, and I saw no mention of it anywhere, but just to tell somebody who you've said you're essentially his dad, Uh and you're fulfilling a father role in his life. Right. Even though we didn't get to see any of it. But to then kind of, again, with a passive aggressiveness, I'm going to take everything back and just give you this little bit that you were close to. There's really, really nothing. Right. And it's so significantly different from last week when Oliver died and Nick was there for her and, you know, Nick was compassionate and Nick helped with the pajamas you know, and she allowed him in and everything. And then they had that chat on the floor and all that stuff. It's like, oh, all right. They're going to be okay. These kids are going to make it. She's softening up a bit. Mm-hmm. She's letting go. She's recognizing the mistakes she's made. They're going to be okay. So for it to, for us to have all of that emotional wealth last week. And then to just have it just not matter this week is just, it's very manipulative mm. to your audience. And I, for one, don't appreciate it. <laughs> Tracy goes around to see Leanne and to explain to her about Steve, who doesn't find himself in the right frame of mind to deal with any of this, which doesn't go down too well with Tracy. It, or Leanne. Leanne. Tracy, however, does offer to help and offers up Amy and the Emma too for anything that Leanne and Nick need. Then on Wednesday, Leanne is round at number one asking for Tracy to source some little windmills because Oliver loved little windmills. Mm-hmm. And notices that Oliver's memory box has arrived. She pinwheels. Seems, yeah. She pinwheel, seems, pinwheel spinning around. She Sorry. seems touched by this and then angry and then asks if Steve is still in bed, which he is. Tracy assures her that he's not going to miss his own son's celebration of Oliver's life. See, I was confused by that box. By that being the memory box, because it seemed a bit toty to have all the memories in. For some reason, I was thinking that that was like his, like where they were going to put the ashes. So then I was confused later on during the celebration of life that there was a, if there was a coffin. I, I didn't expect it to look like something that somebody had made. That kind of threw me. Because my idea of a, of a memory box was... Like an old cookie tin with uh, a whole bunch of stuff thrown in it? Right, or a box that you've you've pulled down from the attic. Maybe an old Victorian tin that holds uh, other sepia-stained photographs that you throw out so you can put this the new memory <laughs> stuff in. That's kind of the sort of thing that I had in mind. Hmm. Or just a regular cardboard box. I didn't think. Well, you didn't. You don't want cardboard because things will get ruined in it. Because you think that the funeral was 
quite quick to organise and getting this box together. Because that looks like it's been... Somebody's gone to a, yeah, a craftsman they, they and said... They sent away for that and had his name... You etched know, on it. Carved in. Yeah, that that is rather quick. Unless they... I, I feel like they sent away for it when they first had the idea for the memory box, not the day he died. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that gives them a little bit more time. So it's a quick turnaround. Yeah, especially during a pandemic when shipping is... <laughs> A bit slow. Did you pick up on Oliver's middle name? I can't remember what it was. Was it Benjamin? I think it was Benjamin. Oliver Benjamin Battersby. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that the middle name, I liked it more than the first name. You don't like Oliver? Yeah. It's a kind of, no offence to any Olivers that are out there, of which I'm sure there are some. (laughs) It was a, it's a name that when you hear it being said often, mm-hmm. it it sounds odd. Really? I found it, and it, especially because it's been said so often I over the past few months, it just it kind of started to jar with me. It just reminds me of Oliver Twist well, sure. in the musical. So, mm-hmm. And considering I also have a child named after a Dickens character, it doesn't bother me. So That's right. Where is Miss Haversham? I think she's still in bed. Right. In her wedding eating, dress. In her wedding dress. Still cake. Still. <laughs> so Great book though, so Yeah, that wasn't an accident. No. Nick finds Leanne at the bus stop. She's off into town to get an apple tree. He gives her a lift, but he offers to give her a lift, but she um, she knocks him back. Rover seventy five. They have an, an awkward chat about Oliver's love of wheeled transport, but agree to meet at the flat later because Nick has something to show her. And but the thing not like that. And the thing that he has to show her... Is his penis. <laughs> ...is another memory box. Oh. Nick got one for Leanne too and brought some stuff together uh, that she might want to put in it. Leanne is really touched and thanks him. It looks like it could go either way. Right, yeah. Because she doesn't like this idea... I'm wondering if she doesn't like this, uh, this idea because it wasn't her idea. Mm. Well, she doesn't like this idea, but now she has it. Right. She's like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's for the best. Yes. And then there's a brief scene later outside the florist where the flowers have turned up a day early. Right, and Tracy's mad, but Leanne doesn't seem to care. Which was weird. Mm-hmm. Well, I can understand why Tracy's mad because she's trying to show Leanne that everything's going to be perfect. Right. And Mary's insistently called... This isn't a big deal. This happens all the time. We just have to store them for a day longer than Mm -hmm. we would normally. And if I was a florist, I'd rather have them the day before than the day off. Right. Because the day off, I'm starting to worry that they're not going to show up. Right. That's what I'm going to be worried about. I don't know. That's that's, that's what keeps me up at night. It kind of It's those kind of thoughts that they're not going to show up at all. It kind of seemed like a pointless... I'll worry about. It kind of seemed like a pointless scene that... Meant to show us things that we already knew that Tracy's trying really hard for Leanne. It looked like the writer had to hand in a twenty-two page script and they were one page short. Or they had to include Mary somehow this week. She was available this week, so they had to put her in at least one scene. Right. Back at the flat, Nick tries to do some comforting, uh, kind of you won't be alone type speech stuff for Leanne but she gets a text and that's all she needs to flash him a quarter of a smile and go off and deal with whatever the person wanted on the phone right which we never really find out what that's about probably something about the funeral 
next, Celebration next of here. life. Thank you. Because on Friday, it's the morning of the celebration of Oliver's life, and yeah. Leanne is in a bad mood. God, this happened so quickly. In a bad mood it's with like, everyone. It's like, it's like, right, the kid's dead, let's get him buried so we can move on to other stuff. Yeah, I don't think that. I, I feel like this is following a, at a fairly then again, standard then again, time frame. My mother wants to be buried the same day she dies in a, like, a plain wooden box. So. Should we start making them? It feels like we should. It feels. If that's the kind of the turnaround time, the box should really be prepared ahead of time, shouldn't it? Well, I mean, you buy. You, you do typically buy your all of your stuff before you die. You prepare and everything. She's already got her plot. She's getting buried behind Calvary Chapel in that tiny cemetery that's behind Calvary Chapel. In a box that doesn't currently exist. Which is fine. Or may exist. I don't know. Oh, she has the box? I, I don't think she has the box, no. But I think she's paid for it and it's you know, it's on reserve I guess. I don't know, maybe maybe these are things we should talk to her about instead of discussing on the podcast. I love your mum and everything, but that's creepy as fuck. It's like the old um, Jewish tradition. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. I'm Much- just thankful that she doesn't want to be put in a pyre. Let's, let's be thankful for that. Well, no. The Vikings are on my dad's side, I believe. <laughs> Which you can tell by your dad's towering height. Yeah, the Vikings were actually on my mother's side. You're right. Right. Because no my... offence to your dad. He's a bit of a short arse. Yes. Whereas my mother's family were tall, massive, stately Dutch people with good skin. So anyway, Leanne's barking orders at Simon, threatening a non-present Steve for the idea that he might not show up. Nick and Toya urge her to relax. <laughs> Privately, Nick worries to Toya that Leanne might not be okay. Toya says, "Of course she's not okay. They're ba- we're Battersby's. It's after the event that you really have to worry about." And I'm like, "Fucking hell! What's that going to look like? <laughs> if this is what it looks like before the event, jeez." Mm-hmm. And number one, Tracy has stolen the little windmills from someone's garden. And then Amy says that Liz has called, wanting to know when they'll be landing in Spain. So it looks like a bunch of them are going to be going out the show for a bit. If they're all going to Spain. They're going to Spain during the pandemic. <laughs> they're all going on vacation during a pandemic to, to be Spain. F- to be fair, I think I could probably add the phrase during a pandemic to every sentence that I've written down here. Right. Yeah. Leanne urges Tracy to find pinwheels during a pandemic. <laughs> then we learn that Steve has gone out, but no one knows where during, during a, a pandemic. pandemic. <laughs> See, it's, it's easy. But at least he's got his mask. As it turns out, he's at the hospital looking into Oliver's old room that is now occupied by another child during a pandemic. Hmm. <laughs> that was an odd thing to do. I mean, I can see why. I, Oliver spent a lot of time in that room. It, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like he was only there for like a few nights and no. then died. He was there for like a, well over a month. So it's kind of like it's kind of like home. <sighs> Because he's been there for so long, I think I'd be more inclined to never want to go back to that fucking place ever again. I was on full bed rest in the hospital 
before giving birth to Benny for a month and then was staying in the family room in that same hospital for almost another full month after he was born because he was so small. I remember kind of missing it after those two months were over and we were home. I do, I, I do, and I still think fondly kind of of that room and, and the silence and. Yeah. And people looking after you and getting you everything you want. This isn't exactly the same thing. No, no. In fact, I go as far as say this is the opposite of that. Right. But I mean, it was also at times traumatic and stuff. I mean, of course, because bed rest and stuff, there was a reason for it. But yeah, yeah, I guess. I think it'd be the last place you would want to go. Hmm. It would be the last place I would want to go. I'm not Steve. No. So he meets this new father and explains he spent a lot of time here because his, his kid used to live in that room. And they chat about the hospital and the nurses and how they take stuff for granted these days. And Steve gives the other dad hope by lying and saying that Oliver got better. Keep the faith, says the other dad. Yes. We so, don't know what his kid has, though. No, so. but it's ICU, so it's not tonsillitis. No. The celebration of Oliver's life has taken place in the community garden right enough. There's a screen showing pictures of him while that wee classical piano police is playing. I tried to remember what that was called and I, I can't remember. I tried to shazam it and it didn't pick it up. It was nice seeing Billy actually at work. <laughs> Although now that he's like an official bishop or something. Archdeacon. Yeah, he's the archdeacon now. So should he be doing funerals? Isn't he too high up to be doing funerals anymore? I don't know if there's been a transition yet. Hmm. He seems to be just wearing his regular he's been, like, he's been really robes. busy. So he says. He's been really busy with all of his new things that he has to do as... Archdeacon. Archdeacon. I don't know. I, I have very rarely belonged to a church with a hierarchy, so I, I don't know what any of this means. It's just remembering the word Archdeacon. That's it. <laughs> That's all you have to do. So Steve shows up apologising for being late. He checks if she's okay uh, and he airs this notion that what he really wants to do with his life now is continue working and raising money for sick kids. And he wants mm-hmm. to make sure that she's okay with that. Yeah. And she's like, well, why wouldn't I be okay with that? Right. And he asks her if she wants to, to help out. And she's like, let me get through today first. Yes. Then Billy, as you said, is there in his robes, mm-hmm. rather keen to get started. Yes. You in a hurry, Billy? You going somewhere? Apparently he you got is. got some other archdeaconing to do somewhere? Right. More funerals. So Leanna's getting ready to start when she sees Sam hanging around outside the garden and she does not react well to no, this. No, no. He pulls up on a bike. He locks his bike to an old pipe and he turns around. Mum, nowhere... This is this kid keeps showing up in places he's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Well aware, well away from his home, his actual home. Right, because I don't think we're led to believe that they live in Weatherfield. No, because if they lived in Weatherfield, wouldn't have bumped into each other before now. Yeah, Natasha's parenting is awful. <laughs> Although he was at Weather General, so he must be somewhere fairly close by. Still, still. He keeps showing up in places and insisting that his mother doesn't know that he's left. He's writing letters to adults 
that she doesn't know about either. I think she does know about these things. She's not exactly a helicopter parent, is she? No, and I mean, this is speaking as someone who's also very much not a helicopter parent, but still, if my 10-year-old... Wanted to go to a celebration of Oliver's life, you'd know about it. like, five miles down the road. I'd want to know. The kids still have to tell us where they're going before they leave. Right. So, she blames Natasha, but according to Sam, Natasha has no idea where he is. Because she's a bad parent. He came on his own to be at his brother's funeral. Leanne tells Sam that Oliver wasn't his brother. He has no right to be there. This isn't about him. And she tells him to get to fuck. She says this to a child. She says all of this to a child. To a little child. Surely, yes. A child who is, let's be honest, one of those annoying, precocious children who are really tiny adults. Mm-hmm. But still. <laughs> Nick looks at his son as if to say, yeah, Leanne's made a fair point. Yeah. Sorry, kid. <laughs> Sam knows when he's not wanted. What was your first clue, Sam? <laughs> was it when Leanne said, you're not wanted here? Nick says Leanne will never be as upset as she is now, uh, so don't take it to heart. And then he invites Sam to attend with him and stand at the back. That doesn't seem like a good idea. No. Meanwhile, Which Toya... isn't what happens. He, like, he's hiding behind a fence. He's kind of outside the community garden. Peeking in. Like he's in prison. <laughs> it's a strange... That's a strange wee shot. And it's not near... It's not near Nick at all. Nick is still up in the front <laughs> by Leanne. Ay ay ay. Meanwhile, Toya has planted a tree while Sarah sits at Costa and sobs. Billy says something about trees. Leanne reads notes about how Oliver was so young and how this seems so unfair and sad. She sobs as she continues to talk about Oliver and his red car and how every time she sees a red car she'll think of him and how lucky she was to have him in her life. She didn't have the red car though. No, Nick's got his hands on that. No. No, Steve's got his hands on that. Steve's got the red car. After watching the celebration that stupid lion. of Oliver's life from that, which I think is new, that was bought while he was in the hospital. Was it? Or, uh-huh. Because there was another stuffed animal that used to be his favorite before the red car, and I thought that was the lion. I thought the because lion. Emma, Emma and Amy bought him something too while he was in hospital. That was the lion. Was it the lion or I was it another so. stuffy? Was it like a tiger or something? No, I think it was the lion, which means that he's never set eyes on that thing. I don't know. Still, like, Leanne got comfort from it. That's right. The main thing. Let's, yeah. So, after watching the celebration of Oliver's life from afar, Sarah goes into the rovers to get wrecked. She proposes a toast for Oliver and Billy. Carla is there. Adam and Peter hanging around in the background. Sarah says how pleased she is that Carla and Peter are still together after our one night stand and how she was there with when the guy was hiding in the office. Adam tries to hurry Sarah out while Peter angrily mops up behind the bar. I'm surprised you haven't included the Shona stuff in this storyline since all of the shona stuff is related to oliver yeah i ended up splitting it out why i don't know because it it's really kind of important to the storyline because i'm going to rant about something in the shona storyline that's not included in the celebration of life which again is like we're not getting our emotional payoff from this thing that happened in the shona storyline yeah i think i started on it uh, separately when it looked like it was going to be a different story and then it didn't. And then by that point, I would have to watch the whole thing over again to figure out where to put them back into the other one. So, 
We'll come to that later. Billy is drawing the celebration to a close with Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. While the hearse the drives solely by and Trolls we, soundtrack. And we see that Steve has the wee red car. For some reason, Nick tells Leanne that Amy and Emma are going to take Sam home and take care of him. And she says Sam is his responsibility and he should be the one to take him home. And then she storms off to the hearse. Mummy's here, she says. Yes. Although it wasn't as uh, threatening as I've made it sound there. Yeah. It so, wasn't mummy's here. So Leanne's like, fuck off. I don't want you at my son's, you know, the final part of my son's funeral. You know, because you have this other kid with you, which was exceptionally cruel mm-hmm. to not, Nick. Right. I mean, I can understand wanting Amy and Emma to be at their brother's. Just let Sam come, Leanne. Just just let him come. It's not going to hurt anything. I think in the moment she thinks that if he's there after this is all done, this is what she's going to remember about that day is that that we shit turned up. Well, that's all she's going to think of anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's her attitude about Sam that is the problem, not Sam himself. Really, I mean, it is inappropriate that yeah, he just kind of showed. It's inappropriate that he just kind of showed up. But he's a child; he doesn't know it's inappropriate that he showed up. But we're led to believe he is a kind of adult in a child's body, kind of thing. Right, but even adults in in children's bodies make childlike mistakes. Young Sheldon makes childlike mistakes all the time, even though he's an adult in a child's body. Hmm. He didn't really think this through. No. But he did manage to track down where the celebration of Oliver's life was going to be. So, Well, where else would it be? His investigative it had to be skills. open air because it's a pandemic. So they couldn't have it in a church because it's a pandemic. Nick has taken Leanne's instructions and is in the community garden with Sam, who's explaining why people who look to stars to see their departed loved ones are wrong. He also wrote a poem about how he's going to clap for Oliver and not the NHS. It's rhyming poetry. Well, it starts out as rhyming poetry, and then it goes into free verse, which I thought was a very I th- interesting choice. I thought it still rhymed at the end. It it and then it came back to rhyming at the end. There was like a couplet at the end, but it's rhyming, and then it's free verse, and then there's a rhyming couplet at the end. It was. <laughs> I think the a child verse, did not write that. I think the free verse was actually um, rhyming. It's it just it, it it wasn't couplets at that point, which kind of gave the illusion that it was free verse. No, I'd have to listen to it again, nice. and I really don't want to listen to it again. <laughs> he makes it about him. Meanwhile, back at the pub, Peter is waiting for Carla to get back from the co-op to quiz her about what Sarah yeah, said. Why did you include this in the Oliver storyline, but not Simon and Shona? I did what I did. Get over it, or you read out your own notes for this. <laughs> I, I invite you. <laughs> so... Carla says that Sarah was drunk, you should just ignore it because we all know what nonsense drunks say. And Peter's like, oh, I was waiting for a dig at my alcoholism. He's been a bit of a prick here. Yeah, well, what else is new? Carla isn't sure why he keeps picking up at this. Carla isn't sure why he keeps picking at the scab and goes off for a bath, leaving him to fume. Actually, I think I did initially take this out to be on its own 
and then just threw it back in because <laughs> this was all on Friday and I knew where it went. Hmm. Nick gets home. Leanna's sitting on the floor with Oliver's wee line. Nick apologises for Sam. He says he had no idea. And Leanna's in a more reflective mood. She knows it's not his fault. Children are gifts, she says. And she doesn't want to stand in the way of him and Sam getting to know each other better. But she can't be around it. She tells him to forget about her and enjoy his other life. She'll be moving out tomorrow. And later on the balcony, Leanna's alone as she sees a red car on the street, which makes her smile. And then her smile fades. Yeah. It wasn't really a two-second smile fade, though. Mm. We didn't do that this week. No. That's the closest thing we had, though. We have all this emotional build-up with the music box. But then when we get to the celebration of life, they play Can't Stop the Feeling <laughs> by <laughs> Justin Timberlake from the Trolls soundtrack and say how much Oliver loved to dance to No, it. no, he didn't love to dance to it. It always made him want to dance. So it didn't make him dance, it made him want to dance. Well, I, I think... The, so I don't think it's the same thing, I think the I think the implication is he wants to dance, so he's going to dance, because he's he's three. Right. <laughs> so when a three-year-old wants to do something, they do it. I guess, he's not sitting thinking, so, I really want to dance here, but you know what? I'm just going to put a lid in it. I'm just going to put a lid in it. <laughs> I know I'm in the car. But I wanted, I, I, but I really want to dance. But you know, I'm strapped in, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. Which leads me to question: Is Oliver a Justin Timberlake fan, or is he fan of the movie Trolls? So, because how is this three-year-old hearing the song? Is he watching the Trolls movie over and over and over and over again, as three-year-olds are wont to do with media they love? And so is hearing that song all the time. In Trolls 1, not Trolls 2, the, the rock and roll one that we didn't see. Um, Who's we again? <laughs> I think the original Trolls movie has been on in the house and you've walked through. So you, you've seen. So I know of it through osmosis. Or was Oliver an OG sync fan? And so it just loves the whole Justin Timberlake discography. And so had a huge collection of Justin Timberlake albums. And so it was just constantly listening to Justin Timberlake all the time, over and over again. He was a stun. As three-year-olds are wont to do with media they love. Which one is it? I'm just disappointed that it wasn't the team of the Gruffalo. Oh, that would have been nice. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it, kind of. It would have been... Because I mentioned the Gruffalo a couple of weeks back. Right. It would have been... Or like a song from Peter Pan. Or the theme tune from Oliver, the musical, which he also loved. <laughs> because Leanne was singing... Or that 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 folk song that, that Sarah sang to him. So many missed opportunities for things that the we have. The Skyboat song. Yes. So many missed opportunities to for a callback to something that we have an emotional Oliver attachment to. But no, instead it's Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake from the Troll soundtrack. It's an odd song to have regardless of anything when a, a hearse is rolling by slowly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's something wrong here. It's either the song or it's the hairs. It's... And even even because the... you're kind of expecting Undertaker to start breaking into the <laughs> the dance moves. I mm. and even the hearse 
it's jarring that there's this tiny wee powder blue coffin in the back of it with the flowers shaped like the red car. You know, because I, quite like that. I liked it, but it's jarring to see. It's always jarring to see a child sized coffin. Yes. It's always jarring to see. Yes. I was like, I've, I've told my story about that. Yes. So. I, you know, and, and the fact that in another storyline, which we will be talking about later. Mm-hmm. Not next, by the way. Later. Not even next. No. There's a really emotional scene where one of Oliver's siblings is writing something to say during the funeral or celebration of life, whichever you prefer. And then we never get to hear him actually say it at the celebration of life in its in its entirety, which also would have been... Or at all. Right. Which would have been amazing... And beautiful if we had heard Simon read this thing out as the hearse pulls up. Instead of Sam's poem? Yes. Well, instead of Can't Stop the Feeling by <laughs> Justin Timberlake from the Troll soundtrack. I was expecting, as this was going on, I was expecting Simon, because he hits the play on mm-hmm. the iPod or whatever it is. And, uh, Oh yeah, iPod granddad. But then, uh, <laughs> but it's when he hits, I was like, "You're not going to read your your wee bit over over this, are you?" For music. And if the music's playing, are you going to get to read your wee bit mm-hmm. at all? I expected that more than yeah. I expected a poem from from Sam. But yeah, I was kind of a little. Uh, it, it's like they're far more invested. In building the character of Sam up than Simon. <laughs> Even though Simon is getting his own storyline, which I'm sure is leading to unfortunate things in the future. I um, I expected Leanne to be a bit more uh, rational and reasonable throughout this week leading up to it. And I kind of found her continued uh, barking and snippiness and anger and stuff, which, you know, it's all understandable. Mm-hmm. In particular, the reaction to Sam, it really drew away from the emotion of it. Yeah. A, for, a, for a kid's funeral, it felt oddly missing the emotion. Yeah. In places, not you know, there were there were places when when she's reading out her, her, her bit and she's and she's crying. Um, you kind of see the Leanne that I was expecting to mm-hmm. see. Uh, prior to that, a little bit more. And for her to talk to Sam in a way that she speaks to adults, in really that harsh, cutting way, I can understand her being upset that he's there. But you don't speak to a child that, like that. And Leanne has always been really good with kids. It it just, it it kind of drew my breath back to hear her talk that way. Oh yeah, it was shocking. To a child. In keeping with what had happened up to then, this is a prime candidate for outsourcing. Nick, you fucking deal with this because it does two things. It gets you away my hair and it gets that wee kid away from here as well. Mm-hmm. You deal with it. 
Yeah. It's your kid, you deal with it. Because mm-hmm. I'm here for all of her. Right. Which she pretty much said. But, but, but she no, have she to go storms and, out right, and, you know, yells at this child. Tells Billy to hold his horses. Yeah. Hold on, Billy. I have to go yell at this child. Right. I'll be back in a sec. Oy. Our next storyline today, controversially. So do you think Leanne is, is really leaving the show? Nah. Or leaving the flat? Because nobody's mentioned her leaving the show. She's leaving the flat. Yeah, where's she going to go? Yeah, she'll probably move in with Toya. There isn't enough room for... They'll make room. She has another sister, you know. Yeah, she's not going to go... She's not going to go out of it. They'll make room. <laughs> Room's never a problem. They'll stick an extension on it. will be fine. She can share a room with Craig and Faye. Right. The original odd couple. <laughs> the new thruple of the street. God. Leanne and Craig would just get on... Well, Craig would get on Leanne's tits so much. Right, not like that. But not like that. Or maybe like that. Ray Weinstein and Coronation Towers. On Monday, Debbie and Ray Weinstein are comparing notes in the bar of his hotel, with Debbie confident that number four is in the bag. In comes Faye, late thanks to her bus, and she clocks Debbie, who Ray says was there to apply for the trainee manager job. (laughs) Right. But Uh, it's gone to a better candidate. A.K.A. Faye. And Debbie storms off, rather pissed off by the excuse that Ray has dreamt up on the spot. Right. Ray, and which Faye believes. Uh-huh. Not, Why is Faye not suspicious of this at all? Just 50-year-old trainee manager of a hotel. Is less qualified than me, who, who has no qualifications. Right. Ray hopes Faye will have better public transport options after she moves. But Ray, not, but Faye, Faye and Ray, Faye nonchalantly, Faye Ray, Faye nonchalantly mentions that it looks like the flit is off. So Ray has phoned Debbie about number six and told her to get Roxy at the ready. He quizzes Faye to find out why Sally's not for selling anymore. And she explains about Tim's dad's moving. Which was a fair point. If Tim's dad's moving, then we don't need to move. Right. Plus, Sally's all about moving to a place in Hale Barnes with a, with a bidet. Wouldn't you know it, Ray has a mate who has a development there and might be able to swing Sally a discount. Faye thinks Sally will be thrilled. How can I thank you, she says. Oh, I'll think of something, says Ray. And it looks like Ray Weinstein might be back, which is a shame. Twisting his, his wee moustache right. and winking as he says it. He does wink. That's the jail right there, isn't it? Aye, aye, aye. Faye has come home to show Sally the house in Hale Barnes, claiming the developer came into the hotel earlier, offering 20% off if anyone signs up today, which is totally believable. Tim's unsure, but Sally's heart is sold because there's room for a pool and a retractable roof like Wimbledon. Where are they getting the money for this? <laughs> she works in a knicker factory, and he's a he's a cabbie, essentially, yeah. that, that wasn't making money just a few months ago. Until they got an app that they never use. Tim realises that he doesn't have a choice here. So Faye's on her way back to work when she runs into Craig and excitedly explains that she's off to choose a wine list with Ray. What the fuck do you know about wine ass, Craig? Supportive as ever. And then announces that it's sus uh, as fuck that it'll just be her and Ray. She says that Ray takes her seriously and has faith in her, not like some people. And mm. off she goes. And then Craig goes back to his Among Us game. <laughs> his what? His Among Us game. On his phone. Was that what he was playing? I I don't know, but whenever I hear the word sus, all I think of is, is people saying red is sus or yellow is sus on right. Among Us. I've never sus. played it, but I've enjoyed watching it. 
Abby says, Abby sees Roxy coming out of Sally's. It seems Ray introduced them some time ago. I don't remember that. And Abby's suspicious that today, of all days, Faye, who now works for Ray... Yeah, so Roxy is not really Debbie. No, which has disappointed me. Yeah. Faye, who now works for Ray, has come up with this dream home out of the blue. Faye Ray. I, I said that a couple of paragraphs <laughs> no. ago. You weren't listening. I know, no, I know I was listening, but now I'm just, you know... Screaming at King Kong. Right. <laughs> Doesn't matter because Sally has signed up and Roxy's buying number four. Abby's determined to find out what that dick is up to. Unfortunately, this means running all this by Debbie, hearing her suspicions that Ray is buying up houses on the street. Debbie poo-poos it, but Abby has got to be in her bonnet about this and won't let it go. We then see Faye knocking on Ray's hotel door. And I'm like, oh, Flashbacks. Fuck, we're back Flashbacks to this, of Michelle. Really? And, and Alia. He's in a bathrobe, about to have a bath. Just like with Michelle but and he, Alia. He invites her in and tells her to pour herself a glass of vino. Just like Michelle. Better to do the wine list up here to stop the other staff members getting jelly. Turns out Ray won't be sampling the wine as he's driving, so this is all down to Faye. Such responsibility to make sure that she gets drunk. Later, in his... In his... In his loosely fixed bathrobe, Ray Weinstein is man-spreading on the bed. As Faye tells him that his wine tastes like wet dog. He calls her a breath of fresh air and she's charmed him. She mentions that she has a boyfriend, well, Craig, and <laughs> Ray's feelings are hurt. He tells her she can always go back to cleaning cutlery if that's what she wants, or she can join him in the bath. <laughs> After the bath, Faye is in bed while Ray is fastening himself up. Yikes. She praises her on seeing what she wants and going for it. That's women's love for you, he says. He calls her mature for her age. They seem to agree to keep this little bit of fun between the two of them, and he offers her a ride back to the bistro. Now... What what does... This is coercive. This is rape. This is rape. 100%. 100%. But... What does it say about Faye's personality that he tried this with Michelle and it didn't work? He tried this with Alia, and it didn't work. They both told him to fuck off that they didn't want his job. Mm-hmm. Because this is literally the same thing that happened with the two of them, where he's, he's in the bathrobe. Cookie cutter stuff. Yeah. I would say that the bathrobe wasn't fastened, uh, or was, was more loosely fastened this time than it was last time. That's pretty much the only difference. Uh, it makes me quite sad. I think... Phase 18, so she's not quite as mature. As Michelle, but Alia's around that age. Oh, Alia's older than... Alia's not in her teens, come on. Well, no, but she's not that... She's in her 20s. She's in her early 20s, She's a successful businesswoman. She knows what she's doing. She was initially... uh, Well, they both were. They were both kind of initially taken by the the charm array and the the promise of fast track and stuff and, and... I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say they were naive one little bit no. to to take on Marty's word. And they both had something to fall back on. Michelle still had the bistro, and Alia still had Speed Doll. So, and also these things happened in a in a more economically stable time. And neither, Faye only has this job. And neither one of them have gone from cleaning cutlery to trainee manager. They've they've gone from something that was sustainable to this 
accelerated roll. Right. Faye is has nothing. Is cleaning dishes and is kind of the lowest rung on the ladder. Waiting tables. And is proud of her uh, achievement of moving on from that and moving up and having this exciting new prospect ahead of her, earning decent money, being able to afford things. She she mentioned when they were talking about moving house about she how how maybe she'd be able to afford one of these houses. And she has the pride of her family behind her that while a little somewhat sceptical, I guess, or not expecting this, she's got the support of Tim and Sally. She, she thinks that they're proud of her. No reason to believe that they're not. Craig, I, not so much, but it, it, it kind of felt like the idea of going back to this terrified her. It's and shocking. also being in a room with a middle-aged man making these, uh, these, it's either my way or the highway kind of demands, and who's her boss? Right. I think she pretty much froze. She looked frozen in the bed afterwards. Yeah, she didn't, no. It is shocking to me, after what happened with Michelle, after what happened with Alia, after what happened with Bethany, after what happened with Abby... Sally's best friend, who used to live with them, that Tim and Sally aren't more suspicious and aren't saying to Faye, maybe you shouldn't take this job. We're really proud of you, but we don't want you working with this man, Mm -hmm. which none of them have said, not even Abby, not even Abby, when, when Sally mentions that Faye's not there, that she has you know, this other thing. Abby doesn't say to Sally, do you think maybe she shouldn't be working with this guy? Don't you find it suspicious that she's been getting this big job promotion for no reason and it sounds an awful lot like what he did with Alia and Michelle? Uh, Ray, the writers, and Ray, the people that are writing Ray, the uh people that are writing this story have done a really good job in... And doing what I would have thought maybe it isn't impossible, but it would be really tough to change people's opinion of Ray. Mm-hmm. Because a few weeks ago, I'm wanting them to win. Right, yeah. <laughs> and 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 you're happy to see this different side to him. Right, that yeah. That we've put that bit. Yeah, he's a great villain now. It's almost like we haven't forgiven what happened before, but right. you're, you're kind of, you're, you're willingness to forget it. Is is raised or not? Not necessarily forget, but say you know. Oh well, now we're seeing. It's it's really smart to see him as a more fleshed out villain and not just have this one dimensional sex predator side. And it's not unheard of for a character to change course, vis a vis Abby, mm-hmm. who's the terrible mother, the drug addict, the the loser, the the mm-hmm. undependable. She changes course and she becomes mm-hmm. something else. Right. They'd written Ray to be the kind of sex pest, uh, Weinstein Slime character. Yeah. It's not. It's not impossible to think that maybe they they like the character and let's let's make him let's tone him down a little bit and we'll just make him change course a little bit. And now he's just this ruthless property developer. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing, and what they were doing to the other characters on the show, is pulling the wool over their eyes. Right. At his heart, he is a um, a rapist and a yeah and a 
sex criminal, mm-hmm. for want of a better description. Yeah, because that's what he is, this- and he hides it to get Tim on side. Oh, Tim's saying, oh, he's given all this money to Oliver. Uh-huh. He can't be that much of a bad guy after all. So he gets Tim on side, forgetting that Scott gave lots of money to Oliver too. And look how that happened. How much dirty money is getting laundered through this Oliver fund? That's what I want to know. <laughs> anyway, we're- it's not really being laundered, but yeah, I, yeah, I. It's just, and it, it's kind of baffling because. Why? You know, the the only reason why he would do this is because it's in his nature to be a rapist and the sturdy old man who likes to coerce young women in into bed and he hasn't done it for a while that we are aware of. I'm sure he has done it lots of times to characters off screen all this time in his other hotels and stuff. But it doesn't help... It doesn't help the property development thing. It doesn't really get... Faye was already willing to lie for him and and be supportive of what he was trying to do. You know, even with Craig sniffing around. It feels like he's not aware of the fact that Faye is Gary's little sister. And if Gary finds out about this, he's going to kill him. It's it's power and it's danger. That's everything that that Ray does is. is but this could one really, the, one or the other. really fuck up the whole operation, and it does. It's like he and doesn't that, care. That's what's getting him hard. It's like he doesn't care because he he keeps making these decisions that Debbie rightly gets angry about because, like. Leaving all those papers on his desk constantly for other people to find. It's, Lock it up. It's what I'm saying, though. It's, Why this do is you what have I'm a saying. hard copy? It's the danger of it. It's no fun <laughs> if this is easy. Yeah, I suppose. We, anyway. we really need to get fired through this because we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes and we're not even halfway through. That's fine. It isn't fine. <laughs> so on the street, Abby catches Faye and asks her if Ray's got her doing his dirty work. Face snaps at this, more so when she sees PC Tinker get out of a police car. I wonders why everyone is so obsessed with Ray and tells Abby to get a life. And it's dark when Abby grabs a word with PC Tinker. They both don't trust Ray as far as they can throw him, but PC Tinker can't do anything because he's not actually doing anything illegal apart from raping all these people. Yeah, but he doesn't know. Right, Abby Abby? Abby demands more information, so PC Tinker, consummate professional that he is, admits to seeing something that he shouldn't have in Ray's office, but refuses to elaborate. Yeah. Such a bad policeman. Ray is chopping up veg in the bistro kitchen, and you're thinking, why is he chopping up? And then we realise why. While an unmasked Debbie explains about Abby poking her nose in their business, Abby is lying... Abby has linked Ray to Roxy already. Ray doesn't care. Abby's a nobody. Plus, come the weekend, all the properties will be bought up and it'll be too late. Then Abby, the nobody, comes into the bistro, notices the place is quiet like always, and sneaks into the office and goes through some paperwork. And she finds an envelope of interest just as an aproned Ray comes in. She manages to hide the envelope behind her back and the contents as they exchange barbs. She wants to know what his big deal is trying to break up the houses trying to buy up the houses in the street he calls her a broken record accuses her of trying to get her whole again and tells her to get to fuck she does choosing to check the envelope and its contents pretty much on the other side of the office door ray really needs an office tidy yeah debbie gets home to find a hive of activity abby's on the laptop sally's on the phone to a council mate abby shows debbie the stolen letter why are people 
constantly showing Debbie things. It's an invoice for the planning consultancy. Debbie plays dumb. Abby says they build skyscrapers. Sally confirms that uh, there's an improved there's an approved pre-planning application with the council to knock half of Coronation Street down. <laughs> they discuss the evidence. Kev's garage, the plats, Tim's dad. This is a plan that's been months in the preparation, just like 9-11. Debbie <laughs> says all this is speculation. And Kev agrees they need proof. Sally will continue to do some digging with the council. And this development will go ahead over my dead body, says Abby. A little too foreshadowing for my liking. Debbie rushes to the bistro to tell Ray that Abby, Sally and Kev are on to them. Ray calls him the Three Stooges and plays it down until Debbie explains about Abby finding the letter on his desk and Sally's buddy at the council. It's all tumbling down. Ray points out it'll lead to Debbie's door. Debbie thinks it's worse than that because once word gets out, everyone's going to want more money. Ray will get the word out to the other investors. It's damage control now and they'll need to sort out Abby. Mm-hmm. So on Wednesday, Abby's getting ready to head around to Sally to chat about the proof thing. Kev thinks that they'll uh, they'll have enough on their plate with the trial. But privately to Kev, Dev thinks Abby's becoming fixated with Ray and wonders if she's using again. And Kev's like, I don't really don't think so. Yeah. Sally has discovered that the properties are called <clears throat> Fogarty Property. <laughs> Did it have to rhyme? Abby looks them up on Company House and turns out that 75% of <clears throat> Fogarty property, property is owned by Hexapoint, who own the Hale Barnes development, which is owned by Ray. Faye, who comes down the stairs of Discovery, is forced to admit that it was Ray who fed her that info, not a random property developer after all. It, it, it saddens me that Sally fell for that so quickly and right. so easily because she wanted it. A bidet in a swim pool and a retractable roof like Wimbledon. That's right. all it takes to buy her over. So Abby goes off to speak to David, who seems happy to discuss property dealings in his socks and pants in his front door. <laughs> that was right. He seems shocked to learn that Roxy is really Ray and who the fuck is going to deal with a sinkhole in his back garden? <laughs> Abby wouldn't put it and by... How, how are they going to rent back... His house if they're going to knock it down. Abby wouldn't put it by Ray to have been involved in the sinkhole, but David doesn't think Ray is Morocco Mole, but if he is, he'll be getting twatted for it. Abby says the whole street has to stick together on this, and a passing Brian advises David, put on some trousers first. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was just so funny. David in his pants. Why is he in his pants? pants? <laughs> Did he... Did did he spill something on the trousers he was supposed to be wearing in that scene and they, they didn't have time to get him clean trousers because COVID? Because the only thing it serves is Brian say, put some trousers, trousers on first. On. Right. That's the only reason that he seems to be in his <laughs> pants other than to make us smile. <laughs> At Chariot Square Hotel, there's a bit of an expo presentation ready for the Coronation Street Tiny development. butt cheeks. It looks snazzy. Ray and Debbie meet up. Ray gets in, is getting all misty about getting his hole off of Debbie. Debbie tells Ray about Abby and her gob shooting off to everyone and recommends postponing the presentation to the investors. It'll be disa- it'll be a disaster if Abby gets wind of this, unless... Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Meanwhile, Craig has gone round to see Faye to quiz her on why she hasn't been replying to his texts. Maybe it's because you're being too supportive, Craig. He admits he should have shown her a bit more face. Just a bit. Nice. He admits that he hates her working for Ray, a man who's knocking down people's homes. 
She didn't know that he knew about that and he says that he was sworn to secrecy or Ray would have fired her. He was just trying to protect her. Well, that worked out well, she says, because now she's talked to Tim and Sally into moving and she chucks him on the spot and tells him to fuck off. Right. Sally has a meeting of residents. She's got a fair point there. She does. He should have said something to her. He's a terrible boyfriend and a terrible policeman. He's a terrible terrible friend. He's only been going out with her for like an hour (laughs) and he's betrayed her so many times. And yet they've already slept together. We're we're meant to... Sally has. It was not a relationship that was going to be successful anyway. Let's be honest. Sally, it it was there because to serve a purpose. Yes. The gods of plot smiled, smiled in that relationship, while the rest of us didn't. Mm. Sally has a meeting of residents in the metaphorical community garden. Roy, Dev, David, Abby, and Brian. They discuss the properties that have been sold and the ones that haven't been sold yet that could block the plans. Roy, obviously a guy you want to have on your side in this, points out that the High Court could grant a judicial review. Then Abby gets a call from Debbie, tipping her off about the press launch at the hotel. David urges the Rebel Alliance to make haste, (laughs) leaving Roy to explain to Brian that that was a Star Wars reference. (laughs) And Brian goes, okay. Oh, oh. So So Brian knows nothing about Star Wars. I can believe that. shocks me. So Abby turns up at the hotel, Faye's working at the desk. He's more of a Trekkie. And Abby asks where the press launch is. What press launch? asks Faye. So instead of a hotel-based press launch, Ray is given uh, the investors and the press an actual tour of the proposed site. Abby and the others in the Rebel Alliance descend. Abby angry that Debbie threw her a bum steer. Debbie manages to weasel out of it, blaming her informant. Roy shouts to the press and investors that Ray is a fucking liar who is cheating people out of their homes and getting rid of the only industry around here vis-a-vis the knicker factory. This draws warm applause from the other residents. Abby shouts that Ray is a sex pest. Ray tries to explain, <laughs> but Brian starts singing... He's also a sex pest! <laughs> Brian starts singing, We shall not be moved, and it all kind of snowballs from there. Ray shouts that he's offering 50 grand extra to anyone who hasn't already sold, and that shuts them up. There goes the neighbourhood, he says. Right. David says, can I get it on that, even though I've already (laughs) signed the dotted line? The alliance has drawn on Adam's expertise to look over this property stuff. At number eight, Adam (laughs) thinks that the people like Ray always find a way to get uh, planning permission that they need. David realises that no one has mentioned the factory land, so they go off to speak to Gary about it. And at Gary's, he confirms he's selling the factory to Ray. He's seen the plans and everything. He's got a good price and he'd be stupid to turn it down. David is pissed that Gary talked him into selling uh, to Roxy, but Gary couldn't give a shit. It's not like they're all friends here, is it? And as they leave, Adam thinks Gary's enjoying it. You have no idea, says Gary. Right, yeah. So and Gary... it's all because, it's all because yes. Gail had the, taken that photo and Sarah told her not to show mm-hmm. Gary. Mm-hmm. That photo. He's still bitter about that. He's still bitter about that. Oh, what, can I still remember what the He's... license plate was? It was V... Oh, it wasn't V plumbing, was it? He's willing to put the mother of his child out on the street without a job. Mm-hmm. Because Sarah wouldn't let Gail show him a photo of a license plate. Yep. Guess we're not friends after all. Back at number eight. Audrey's back. She's brilliant in this scene. She might as well have a sign round her neck saying exposition. I don't give a fuck is what that <laughs> sign should say. She is 
strong bitch energy here and I'm here for it. She was checking out the sinkhole and has dropped by to confirm that she's selling the salon flat uh, with Maria and Claudia agreeing to sell the salon so that she has more money for the barbers. David calls her a traitor. Bit harsh and Audrey brings up the fact that, well, if you and Nick hadn't... Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe we should be throwing words around, like traitor around, my love. She's made up her mind. She flips them off with both hands. <laughs> Fuck y'all, she says. She puts on her sunglasses and she strolls out. Tell Gail that I popped in. <laughs> in Maxine's bench, David has bad news for Roy, Brian and Dave. Audrey's selling, Gary's selling, and that just leaves Brian and Rita. They're too late. But Roy says, not so fast, buckaroo. He hasn't got the cabin or Rita's flat or Brian and Kathy's flat. There's a public consultation to come. Man the barricades, says Brian. I'm glad that we're dealing with uh, low-level local council dealings and and, uh, and processes here. Yes. On Friday, Kev and Abby are getting ready for a meeting with the council to put a case against Ray. And Kev blabs this to Debbie, who actually says, I hope Ray doesn't find out. Bring it on, says Abby. <laughs> I know. When she said that, I was like... <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake, Debbie. The Rebel Alliance meets Sweet Doll. Nina's there, so you know it's going to be going to succeed. Roy has some interesting information. He's found out that the local suffragettes used to have their meetings in the old brewery. Uh, Pankhurst may have even given a speech there. This could make the building of historical interest, which would get it listed and protect from demolition. Then, on the quiet street, Debbie unlocks a white car that's outside her house and drops something into the footwell. And we don't know what it was. Drugs. And we don't even know whose car it was. Kev's. Is it Kev's car? I think so. I it's outside his house right now. I think it's Kev's car. And she had keys for it because she had the fob right. to unlock I th- it. I think it's drugs. I think she's trying to make it look like Abby's using it again. Because how how is that how is that going to help Debbie? Because Kev already believes that this this building thing is happening. So Abby using it again isn't going to stop him and everybody else in the street from wanting to stop you. It's just going to break Abby and Kev up. Right. So is that just revenge at this point? Because it's not going to do anything to stop this. And she's put them on the driver's side. Oh, that's right. See, I was thinking it was an American car. No. No, it's on the the driver's side. side. The driver's Mm, side. Well, that's so Kev will most definitely find it. But also it seems that (laughs) Abby drives that car and drops drugs in it. Right. Which is weird. Yeah. This is or is it up. like a GPS tracker or something? I don't know. It looked like a bit I, of, well, We didn't see it. Yeah, it was small. Point. It was something small. And he's she's trying to put this bug in Kev's ear that Abby is using again. You know, and that all of this is just Abby being crazy. Right. Because we've got lots of crazy ladies in the show mm-hmm. this week. Lots of accusing women of being crazy and unhinged and... You know, still carrying a flame for awful men. This is a running theme through this whole week. Now let's talk about Shona. (laughs) On Monday, at number eight, Shona's clattering around the kitchen looking for scales. She wants to bake Nick and Leanna grief cake. And David sarcastically thinks this is just what grieving parents want, especially Shona can't bake. And he goes upstairs suggesting that they stick to flowers. Shona gets a glint in her eye while I just roll mine. David catches Shona trying to deliver a T-Rex cake to Nick and Leanne. David gently explains how sarcasm works to Shona and then ushers her back home where he fully intends to eat all of that cake by himself, mm-hmm. probably in his pants. <laughs> Shona's in Roy's rolls where she sees Simon and offers her condolences for all of her, reminding Simon that she's still not right in the head. She's nicked Sarah's car keys. Was that from last week still? 
I believe so. And offers to take Simon for a drive for whatever reason. Kind of creepy. That's but no, all this right. Is why I kind of, right. Shona gets home in this cage about where he's, she's been. David apologizes for his sarcasm before and does his best to explain why a cake isn't the best thing to give people who are feeling as bad as they've ever felt in their lives. But, you know, in a way, I kind of feel like she had a point because they do need to eat. Cake. Cake is comforting. And everybody else has already brought flowers to the point where they're starting to use their teapots as flower vases. Right. So more flowers isn't going to help. Cake might. Shona resolves to do the opposite of what her instincts say from now on. And David calls this a capital idea and not Which the worst not really. ever. Right. On Wednesday, Simon meets Shona and Roy's Rolls. He's not having a great time of it today. He's not looking forward to the celebration of Oliver's life and feels like he has to be strong for Leanne. And it's a struggle. So to cheer him up, Shona gives him her breakfast to go. Which was actually David's breakfast. Where's my fucking breakfast? <laughs> he says on the phone. And his pants. Simon is meant to do a reading at the celebration of Oliver's life. What's he meant to say? Shona suggests talking about his memories. What memories, says Simon? He was only three. To which all of the audience says, Exactly. 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 He talks about the things that he won't get to do with his little brother. And Shona thinks that should be the focus of his reading. Simon is appreciative of the help. He offers to put some music together for her, but not in a mixtape. It's not the 1990s. <laughs> and he says it like that, kind of. It's a playlist. Shona has heard of such things. Then she calls David a midget to his face, and he goes off to get an old iPad, iPod for her. Uh, Simon, that is, not David. Ah. Then David sees Simon and Shona together. He's not jealous, but he mentions that it might be worth making sure he's not picking up on any erroneous signals that are getting bandied about. And she seems oblivious to any possibility of that. Mm-hmm. I did worry about the playlist. This, yeah. This, this, I did seem that this was going to go off on a little tangent of its own that didn't belong in the Oliver story, but it didn't really amount to anything, so you're quite right. It could have gone in. Especially since it's about Shona baking a cake for Oliver's celebration of life mm-hmm. and comforting Oliver's brother Simon mm-hmm. and helping Oliver's brother Simon write his speech for the celebration of life there's no process for writing these notes helen <laughs> you kind of make a call halfway through the week where you think things are going to go and hopefully they turn out that way and you know what for 131 episodes they fucking well have our penultimate storyline today that's the hour and a half mark is johnny and jenny what johnny and jenny ah oh. This goes on for a I bit. I forgot they were even fucking in it this week. <laughs> Just Monday. Jenny comes off the phone with the police. It's unclear whether Johnny has been charged or not. Then in comes Daisy. I assume that she's spent the night and she's hanging back while Lee continues to Edinburgh. We're never going to see him again. No, we're not. She wants to take care of her favourite stepmom. By which she means <laughs> feeding her up, getting her drunk and signing her up for Tinder. Which implies she has more than one stepmom. Right. Or maybe it's that thing that you do. For, or oh, you, You're my favourite you're my favourite daughter, then you only have one kind of thing. Right. A backhanded compliment, I think is what that's called. Yes. So later, Jenny's face masked up, worried about Johnny not getting in touch. Daisy doesn't think Johnny should be getting a free pass after all the lies that he's told. And she's there to make sure that she gets on with what's left of her life. Then Imran is in the Rovers, claiming to be doing the last minute prep for his big trial in another storyline tomorrow. 
Jenny kind of badgers him for his opinion on a very sanitised version of the Johnny story that doesn't feature Grant the security guard or Grant the security guard's mum, but does feature going to the police station yesterday and not coming back. And at that, a sheepish Johnny comes home and goes off for a shower. After which, Johnny says that he was up at the magistrate this morning and he'll be in court in three weeks where he's planning on pleading guilty. She confronts him about his stupidity and nasty plan to make uh, her hate him, but she refuses to walk away. It seems that they're stuck with each other and they've survived worse. And Johnny seems to actually be quite right, happy yeah, about this. Says, so I don't whole deserve thing, you. That whole thing last week was essentially pointless. Right, yeah. It was just, to, at, again, you know, what we accused it of last week is true. It was meant to be funny. Uh-huh. And it wasn't funny. It was cringy. So in three weeks, that's right at Christmas, he'll be up in court, potentially going to jail. Hmm. Great that's stuff. one of our Christmas storylines then. Yikes. More court, more using that uh, that sterile court hearing room right. that we've used twice now. Our last storyline today: Tim's fucking dad. On Fuck Monday, him sideways. He's kind of getting fucked sideways this week, I think. With a broomstick. Tim and Sally are supposed to be signing on the dotted line today in another storyline, but they haven't found a new place to live yet. And now Tim's dad looks to be leaving. Tim is having second thoughts. Add to all that, and Faye might soon have enough money for her own. Thanks very much. Thanks to her new trainee manager job. Oh dear. If only she knew. Add to all that, Tim's mum still hasn't been found. Add to all that, and Yasmin's trial starts tomorrow, and Tim's giving evidence. Exposition of the week material right there, until the Audrey thing happened. Irman is seeing uh, Yasmin in jail ahead of tomorrow's trial. He's thinking of asking for an adjournment because Paula signed off work for three months. So I think you're right, she does have another job. Because because she's too busy being somebody's wife in that uh, other... Doctors. In doctors. He's found another barrister, but he needs time to prepare. She probably can't be in both the doctor's bubble and the Corey bubble. Yasmin wants to stand trial tomorrow and either Imran defends her or she defends herself, says Yasmin. <laughs> Which is funny because just last week, Yasmin was saying to Alia that she's... That She's really she feels really safe in prison, and it's the safest she's you know. And if she gets off, then she's just gonna have to be around Tim's dad again, and 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 everything. So last week it seemed like she didn't want the trial to happen this week, and now she's going to represent herself right. if Imran doesn't represent her. Yeah, we kind of realised that we're in a bit <sighs> of a hurry here to get this moving before next week's sixtieth anniversary and Christmas. Right. News of Imran defending Yasmin has worked back to Alia, who tells Sally and Tim. Thanks to COVID, the jury will be in a separate room and there'll be no public, so Imran's poor wee nerves should be fine. Alia is worried about Tim's mum and has been at the police again about her being on the witness list. Fuck this, says Tim, and he goes to camp down in the police station until they've finished fingering their own arseholes or something. No, he's he's like, never mind the witness list. My mother is missing <laughs> and nobody seems to fucking care. Right. Back in the street, Tim's dad winds up Tim and Sally about moving. Tim says the only place Tim's dad will be moving to will be the big house, especially now that the police are searching for Tim's mum to be the star witness number two. Tim's dad sees PC Tinker arrive in the street and tells Tim that he always did walk away from his family and even let Faye walk away from his grandchild. He knows that Tim wouldn't amount to anything and he would never and but he never Wait. thought that he would be such a twat. He let Faye walk away from his grandchild? Uh-huh. Faye had a kid. That she gave away, and I think now lives in Spain. Oh yeah, I did know that. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought she was referring to you know Faye walking away from Tim's dad, and I was like that. No, Tim's okay, grandchild. Right, yes. Yeah, I think we've done a 
uh, hindsight I corner. I think we have, yes. Probably more than once. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, so Tim's dad knew that Tim wouldn't amount to anything, but he never thought that he'd be such a twat. Tim hooks him, and PC Tinker comes over with his big boy detective book of police detecting stuff at the ready. So Tim's dad has taken a selfie of his injuries. It's just a little <laughs> bit of jam to the nostril. Right, and he tells yeah. Tim that he's lucky he's not a vindictive man and then points out that he's fucked the testimony that he was going to give tomorrow. There's not a jury in the land that will believe him now. <laughs> right, yeah. And and Tim gives that look that Tim gives when Tim realises that Tim has been very, very stupid. Yes. So Tim goes to see Imran and Nalia to confess about chibbing Tim's dad. PC Tinker took a note and Tim's dad took a selfie. Irman says uh, they need to reevaluate calling Tim as a witness because all the jury are going to see now is a poor old man with jam on his nose and a son who hates him. Tim says this is exactly what Tim's dad wanted. Yes, thanks, Tim. We knew that. Mm. Everyone has already been and gone from that conclusion. Then Tim gets a call from DS Abney. They found Tim's mum. She's in hospital, admitted to a psychiatric ward, so she's going to be no use to them either. Right. Oh, pig's tits. Says everybody. On Wednesday, Yasmin is in her cell getting ready for the trial while in another example of split-screen chicanery, Tim's dad is getting ready at home while singing Breakfast in America by Supertramp. He's got a lovely shiner going on. Yeah, yeah. It's a lovely shiner going on from being hit in the nose. Mm -hmm. Well, getting punched in the nose does give you a black eye. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seemed a bit extreme though. Yeah. (laughs) Outside he runs into Tim and takes great joy in winding his son up about not getting to have his day in court. Tim, because Tim, decides to announce that they'll let Tim's mum do all the talking after all. Bring it on, says Tim's dad. Tim reckons Tim's mum will have been looking forward to this for years. Tim would be an awful poker player. Stop telling the enemy the thing that you're going to do. Right, yeah. I mean, I guess he's he's trying to wind his dad up. He's trying to put the fear of God in him. But it's like, you're just, you're showing your hand, Tim. Right. Cut it out. So, uh, Imran explains the process to Yasmin, opening arguments first and then Tim's dad will be up. He reminds her that her case is self-defense. She needs to get it across to the jury that she was in fear of her life. The prosecution explains the details, admitting to escorts and uh, Tim's dad being imperfect, and how the jury don't need to like Tim's dad to believe him, and Tim's dad isn't the one that's on trial. Imran makes a case for defence which is around coercive control and that Yasmin is a real victim here, isolated from her friends and her family, exploited and regulated by Tim's dad. Tim's dad is sworn in and Yasmin is visibly shaken by this. He describes a good relationship with Yasmin at the start but she's a drunk. He was a regimented man but you need structure when you're dealing with an alky. He was scared of her, he just tried to be a good husband but it was never enough for her. Meanwhile, Tim is going to see Tim's mum, who isn't an old mum after all. She's in Wedding General. He's been worried about her, and she's pleased to see him. She has no idea how long she's been there. All the days kind of meld into one. He asks what happened, and she explains Tim's dad warned her off. Nothing about the phone, though. That's still kind of... Yeah, it was that a red herring. Yeah. Because it seems like he threatened her, took her phone, and then left? Uh-huh. And that was it. She couldn't get a new phone? <laughs> Last week she decided not to be scared anymore or give up on him, but she had a panic attack on the motorway on the way there, which I think is their explanation for why she's not an oldham 
as we all agreed. Tim is sorry he didn't believe Tim's mum, but he believes her now, and Tim's mum is overwhelmed. He asks her to give evidence, but she can't stand up in court and look so Tim's dad in was the she? eye. Where was She's she? not strong enough. So she was hiding out somewhere? In Oldham, in the psychiatric she... ward. Or was it Weather no. General? She's at Weather General <laughs> I'm so psychiatric confused. ward now. But in between the time, where, where was she in between the time Tim's dad first went up to threaten her and stole her phone? And, and, the now, ta- and last week, when she finally got the bravery to drive down to Weatherfield to, con- you know, to, I guess, either confront him or just to see Tim, because the police have been to her house multiple times, knocking Tim. on the door, trying to find her. There was just mail. The neighbors have said they haven't seen her in forever. Where was she hiding out? I'm assuming she was hi- she ran away and was hiding out away from Tim's dad. I think she was in the hospital in Oldham. But that's not what she says. Well, she doesn't say anything that makes sense. None of this makes sense. None of this explanation for where she's been makes sense. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. And it's not the only thing in this storyline this week that doesn't compute, Timbot. <laughs> So Tim reminds her that she's safe now, but Tim's mum sees him everywhere, even through the little windows in this place. This is the sort of thing that he does. He spies on people. Not anymore, Tim's mum, says Tim. We're going to keep you safe. Tim says he hates what Tim's dad has done to him and that he's part of him, but Tim's mum puts a stop to that talk. This is what Tim's dad does. He makes it feel like it was your fault. That's why we need to stop him, says Tim. Meanwhile, Tim's dad is laying on thick in the court. He's admitting that that the argument that happened that night was his fault she was sober that night so it all kicked off when she wanted a bevy he makes out that she was wanting to drink the wine and he was trying to stop her he didn't have a knife he wasn't waving a knife she came at him with a bottle while he was empty-handed meanwhile tim is saying goodbye to tim's mum making it clear that the only way to deal with this is for her to give evidence you should have seen tim's dad's face when i told him i was coming to see you he says and he says ta and he leaves Mm-hmm. Now Imran is quizzing Tim's dad He asks if he's a good husband And he says he was Well what about all those escorts you slept with And Tim's dad reckons maybe he wasn't such a great husband after all What about Pippa Metcalf She had mental issues says Tim's dad Imran asks if he was faithful to her And he says that he was up to her death As he told the police Tim's dad dodges a question about her being dead Saying that he believed her to be dead But then Tim's mum turned up claiming to be her And it got him all confused But on reflection he thinks it was her and there's something about there's there's no photographs of her. He destroyed them all. Right. And then why lie to the police and to Tim to protect him, says Tim's dad. Having two crazy wives wasn't his fault. And but, com- everybody seems to completely forget that there was a third wife in between the two of them. Yeah. What about your second wife? I mean, kind of skipped over the whole chlamydia thing, didn't we? Although we, we did... It, it does, it it does get a... Because he'd, he, he'd it gets a to call back later. Back home, Ryan thinks that it went well. Why on earth Imran didn't, you know, object to an awful lot of that shite that Tim's dad was saying, you know, in the beginning, though, you know, about it, it, just spewing lies. It was just... For a start, how do we prove that... Uh, Yasmin was an alcoholic. We just have your word for it. Right. Nobody else thought that. Mm-hmm. So when they, later on they're trying to say, well, you're the only one that's saying that he did this. Uh-huh. Well, he's the only one that's saying that. Right. Yeah. 
And this and happens this, quite they a talk bit. about they talk about Kathy being a, a witness, but we never see to we never get to see Kathy's testimony. Oh, because it was Brian's week on the show this week. And nobody asked, you know, nobody said to anybody, "Do you believe this woman's an alcoholic?" And uh, that 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 woman who's representing Tim's dad mm-hmm. is that the same woman who represented the guy who was gaslighting Sally? And stole money from her for his sick wife. Duncan. No. But according to uh, Twitter. She has been on the show before. She was representing Nathan and his sex gang that ganged up on Bethany. Oh, okay. So she does have a history of representing awful men i'm led to believe so yes doing awful things back home ryan thinks it went well on his way home imran imran seemingly had time to visit tim's mom in hospital and she's agreeing to give evidence huzzah ryan thinks it's all in the bag meanwhile using a radio station id from one of his colleagues tim's dad is dressed as a ninja as he gets into a secure ward at wedding general he takes time to answer a call from the owner of the past and promises to return it in 10 minutes but it's hospital radio well no, it's just a regular hospital ID for a... Trust me, Helen. I looked at this fucking thing long enough you to know really that it's did. hospital radio. She's a colleague in hospital radio. That's how he's I got the pass. I thought it was like a colleague in hospital. How would a hospital radio pass open a door to the psych ward? Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Yeah. Keep your... Keep your... Uh... I am Timbot4000. Tim's fucking dad can go and fling shite at himself. We haven't yeah. used that one in a while. Both- I mean, Tim's dad... Tim, Tim, Tim Bot hasn't, hasn't said expressed that in a while. It's all true. It's all true. Yeah, so he promises to return it in 10 minutes. He goes into Tim's mum's room and wakes her up. Hello, Tim's mum, says Tim's dad. He shuts and locks the door and she hides behind a chair. And she, there's no panic button in the room. There's no nurse call button in the room. She admits that Tim has talked her into going to court. What, why are we saying these things? What, why can't... are there no nurses or anybody in the hallway? There's not even a nurse's station in the hallway. Where where are all the people who work in this hospital? He can't wait to hear a truth about all her psychotic episodes. He says all he did was take care of Tim because she was incapable. He wants people to know what a fruitcase she was. The jury will look at her once and lock Yasmin up. And he leaves with Tim's mum a bubbling wreck. At home, Tim's mum calls Tim. She can't go through with the evidence again. She doesn't say what happened. She just can't. And then she hangs up. And Tim says to Sally that uh, that, he, that Tim's mum had said that she thought Tim's dad was hanging around. And he has his suspicions that this might be true. He tries to call her back, but she doesn't answer. On Friday. It's the morning and Imran points out to Alia that they still have to, uh, to have their say today. Yasmin, Sally and Alia will still have to take the stand. So it's not the end and of the Kathy. world that Tim's mum has pulled out. Privately, Imran admits to Ryan that he's shitting his pants. Yasmin takes a stand, and she's initially a little timid, but she f- seems to find strength as she goes on. And we go through a lot of the backstory, lots of stuff we already know. How Yasmin isn't an alky, how she did stuff to keep Tim's dad happy, how he forced her to clean and put little X's on the scutting boards, how he made her eat Charlotte the chicken, how she got locked in the box and got locked in the house, and the Claire's law query. Imran's questioning is very leading, but it's allowed, and she describes how Tim's dad came at her with a knife, how she feared for her life, and how she lashed out with a bottle. And we see the mobile phone footage that we've seen a couple of times. And all the while, Tim's dad looks like he doesn't recognise the story that she's telling, and Tim looks sickened as he listens on, and Yasmin is pretty outstanding during this. Yes, she is. 
The defence lawyer is the personification of legally qualified evil as she does her best to make Yasmin a liar. If Imran led the witness, this cow is badgering her, or this badger is cowing her. I haven't decided which. <laughs> Alcoholics are often in denial. The catch on the magic box slipped. Everyone gets angry from time to time and shouts at people. And wasn't it Alia who looked into the Claire's Law thing in the first place and didn't Alia hate Tim's dad? The barrister questions Yasmin's account of the knife, given the police report that it was found nowhere near Tim's dad when they arrived in the scene, and Tim's dad is very pleased at how this is going. Yeah, and... <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, I guess people shout at each other every once in a while and people get angry, sure. But that they don't jam their <laughs> iPhone cameras in their face and, and say awful things. Plus, he painted himself on the stand as this fine, upstanding man who was such a, a, good, a good husband. And this proves that he's not a good, you know... It, it doesn't matter that it's not illegal. It's proof that he's not a great husband. Right. I I just, oh. Mm-hmm. I have not hated a woman since watching Gillian Anderson play Margaret Thatcher <laughs> last week. He was still dead, by the way. Margaret Thatcher, not Gillian Anderson. Correct. Alia's in the stand now. We don't see Imran's question and just the prosecution doing our best to prove that Alia always had it in for Tim's dad. As this has gone on, a note is passed to Imran that makes him smile. I was tempted to do a little. He opens it up and it's a picture so of boobs or something. So like it, and it's a reverse <laughs> smile fade. It's a smile grow. It is. Next up in the prosecutor's list to be nasty to is Sally, who tries to explain how Tim's dad burnt Yasmin's clothes. What clothes did you actually see? And Sally has to admit that she didn't see clothes. She just saw a bit of but stuff. She did. An obnoxious smell. She did. And she used to take chemistry. Look, you can. <laughs> If you go back to that episode, he's putting the clothes in the barrel Mm. while she's watching. And that's what makes it weird. And then she confronted. She doesn't mention the fact that she confronted him about this. And he said, well, there were just some old clothes that she didn't want anymore. And she said and she said to him, yeah, but you give it you give them away. You don't burn them. Why did you burn them? That he confessed to her that that's what they were. Why doesn't she say that on the stand? Hearsay. It's only she said what he said. But still, 99% and, and of And that would be overruled. 90, overruled. No. Hearsay. None of the other hearsay that anybody has said in this trial, which is 99% of what people have been saying in this trial besides the video, everything else is hearsay. The judge is fucking asleep at this point. He's a fucking he's a fucking incompetent asshole too because of what happens later. Again, we don't see Imran, but he stands up and announces that one of their original witnesses is able to give evidence after all, and he calls Tim's mum to the stand. Tim's mum? In comes Tim's mum, looking like she might turn to dust if anyone looks at her. She explains her story to Imran, how Tim's dad was a charmer but quickly turned and controlled her. She didn't go anywhere, she didn't see anyone, she didn't do anything. He forced himself on her, gave her STDs. He'd go off with prostitutes every weekend. And when he hit her, it was the final straw. She left and abandoned her beautiful baby, Timothy. And Tim's dad threatened <laughs> to kill Tim if she came near again. I liked when it said, our beautiful boy, and then we got to Tim. <laughs> He's looking a little confused. She explains the events of the summer, how she came back, and Tim's dad threatened her not to testify. And again, as recently as last night, and there's mummers from the courtroom, and Tim actually looks like he's shedding a few tears at this. Now the prosecution gets her turn to say yes or no to Tim's mum out of the witness box. Tim's mum was actually pretty good at not taking any of the prosecution shite. 
when she tries to call Tim's mum delusional. Imran suggests getting the hospital CCTV, which the prosecution is oddly against. The judge is cool either way, dudes, but he wants a quick resolution to this because this storyline has gone on long enough, thank you very much, so let's be getting on with it. Yeah, he's like, I agree that we really should have this, but I can't be arsed Waiting. To, to wait, so we're not going to do it. Is there eating his popcorn? <laughs> Dresses Michael Jackson for some reason. What is... It's like, don't you want... This may keep a woman out of prison if we could prove that this happened. But, but it's too much like hard work. But it's too much effort because I haven't, you know, done any judging here yet. You know, I haven't overruled anything or told the prosecution to stop badgering the witness, mm-hmm. etc. And stop the defense to stop leading the witness. Well, the, the, the prosecution was doing an awful lot of, an awful lot of leading it. and just letting Tim's dad just wax on so the prosecution gets at it again accusing Tim's mum of tracking down Yasmin to concoct this story to discredit their ex maybe she still has the hots for Tim's dad and wants a hole what Tim's mum tells the barrister Tim's mum tells the barrister that she's as bad as Tim's dad telling Tim's mum how she feels and putting words in her mouth Everything here stems from Tim's dad. She's been afraid all her life, but she's not afraid anymore. Nothing has been made up. Nothing has been concocted. They've simply told the truths. And later, after it's all over, Alia's on the phone to Yasmin. Alia's in good spirits, thinking that uh, Tim's mum was a legend. And Yasmin agrees, but Yasmin thinks that all they have on their side are stories. The prosecution have the evidence, but they will get their answer soon enough. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Uh, well, I loved it this week. This was great this week. There's, there are holes that you could drive <laughs> articulated through. lorries through, but I loved, I, I loved, loved this. Tim, Tim's dad's testimony. I kind of had to do that thing that I had to do before during this storyline, where I had to put my my iPad away from me and just kind of listen to it and not and not watch it because it was making me feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable and a little triggered again just hearing him say all those awful things again uh, and be reminded of all the awful things he did again mm-hmm. it's just when you sit back and you you know and you listen to all the awful things that he did do because i mean imran did prove that he's a liar yep that he lied about being a good husband you know he there's video proof of that that he was a bad husband Yasmin and Tim's mum have given pretty detailed descriptions of awful things this man has done to them it was great hearing Yasmin say he about the little exes Mm-hmm. And then Charlotte the chicken. Mm-hmm. He made me eat. He killed my favorite chicken and made me eat her mm-hmm. before telling me that it was my favorite chicken. Now, the prosecution, if they're doing their job right, should be going through every one of those points and trying to disprove them. And instead, she's she's making outlandish accusations that Tim's mom still is carrying a flame right. for this guy that she hasn't seen in 30 years. If I'm sitting in the jury box or in the other room, Socially distanced from other jury uh, colleagues. Uh-huh. 
I am not believing a word that Tim's dad says because it's been proved. That he's a liar. And I'm finding Yasmin and Tim's mum very credible witnesses here. Mm-hmm. This has been kind of billed as this could go either way because they've made the prosecution barrister so utterly evil. But And the judge so awfully incompetent, incompetent and not... But it, this, is, this has, is a slam dunk as far as I'm concerned. One line. He has one line. What I thought was quite interesting was, you know, Tim's dad is making all these faces as he sits and listens to some mm-hmm. of this. But there were moments where it seemed it seemed very believable that everything that has been described was news to him. Really? That wasn't something that harmed. I didn't you know, the whole chicken thing, sure. Right. But the Or his point of view is different. He's like, this this wasn't as horrible as they're making it out to be. This 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 shouldn't have hurt their feelings this much. In the same way as I don't think Ray thinks that he's a rapist, even though he is, Mm -hmm. I don't think Tim's dad thinks that he's done anything wrong here. No. Even though he he clearly has. Yes. Because men are the worst. (laughs) But that's where the kind of, the the saviour aspect of it, that it doesn't exist because to get your redemption, you have to... Recognize that, that you've done did something, something wrong. wrong. So he hasn't done anything. He, in his mind, he hasn't done anything wrong. No. So he can't survive this. He no. has to die. Hmm. Unless they lock him away forever, and then he finally, in prison, has that redemption moment, much like Jeffrey Dahmer did. <laughs> we need to he have mur- murdered by other prisoners. We need to have that moment where he has that. Uh, where he realizes that the error of his ways, which we're never going to see, no, or he has to die. Because at this point, if he was still a young man, at this point, maybe, maybe he would have realized the error of his ways. But the fact that he has lived a very long life doing this sort of thing over and over and over again. He doesn't know how not to live this way. Right. Yeah. There's you you really can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right. Um Do you expect Yasmin to get off? I mean so to speak. I mean I don't expect her I don't expect her to leave the show and I don't expect her to be doing all of her scenes from prison right. from from now on. Right. For a number of years. Might she go to prison for a little bit before some new evidence comes to light? I just can't see it. I, I can't see it. I think there is enough speculation in the whole, oh, well, she claims she wasn't really an alcoholic and yet she went to an AA meeting. So she must have thought at some point she was an alcoholic. I, what 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 should have happened is if this was really the line of defense that Imran is pushing here, he should have gotten a therapist or psychiatrist, an expert witness up on the stand, maybe even Toya, (laughs) who would be an expert witness in in this case to say, to talk about what happens during coercion, how, you know... Toy would repeated... be a very bad witness here. But... Well, yes, but how a man or a person saying 
these things over and over and over again over time it makes you think that what they're saying is true even though it's a lie right and so you are manipulated you know and 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 other evi- other evidence from an expert witness would have helped their case you know the fact it, why nobody seemed to ask Sally or Kathy or Alia do you think your friend or your your grandmother is an alcoholic is there any evidence that she was an alcoholic over the years nobody seems to have asked that of anybody else because it really that's the only the only thing that they have to stand on the prosecution is that she was this dangerous alcoholic dangerous rove, raving alcoholic violent who was violent and crazed nobody saw any violence nobody yeah. can testify that there was any sign that that Yasmin was anything other than a, a lovely why didn't they get Eileen to testify about um, seeing him lock her in the house again I think and, we're stymied by COVID here yeah yeah because we don't even see Eileen in the in the group of protesters no which you'd think this would be something she'd love to do right or be there for Steve in the whole Oliver thing and be there for Tim yeah and just we love Eileen so it's the 60th anniversary next next week Wednesday the 9th to be precise so we'll see lots I, of people I assume we will yeah this Ken is all will be to, back this is all going to come to your head have you seen week. the portrait of of him that somebody that he was gifted yeah I don't think we have time to talk about that <laughs> what was your moment of the week Tim's mum Tim's mum for me yeah yes but is it Tim's mum putting that awful woman in her place or is it Tim and Tim's mom in the hospital room, you know, and Tim saying, yes, you are my mother. Do you know, that was my goosebump moment was that I, I'm sorry I didn't believe you, but right. I believe you now. Yes. And her saying, you are not your father, you know, and you are the most important person to me and, and, and everything and them coming my, together. My beautiful, beautiful Timothy. Yes. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. I believe you now. That's our... Moment of the week. Moment of the week. Body moment of the week. You look like you have something in mind. What was the scene that we were talking about earlier that that was pointless? The flowers arriving a day early? Yes. <laughs> the yes. flowers arriving a day early at the florists. Where oh. they were meant to be. Was it her? Boy moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. We need to learn how we do this in another two hours again. Shall we wrap this one up? Yes, please. If you if you've ever had a conversation in your undercrackers outside your front door and had a neighbor tell you to put trousers on because your tiny little tushy is hanging out. An email with photographs to the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and on PayPal if you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. I think I've worked out how to work Instagram now. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of the talk of the street.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back next week for a 60th and anniversary of Coronation Street episode of Woo-hoo! The Talk, the of, the talk of the Street. Cheerio. Yeah, but better have for 16 years. No.
Bye-bye.